Well, uh, nice international break, I suppose, Ed. Well, it is for some. I mean, I guess uh, your boys, France, won yet another pot. I noticed, I noticed in that, I mean, France weren't particularly good in either game, to be honest. I thought Belgium outplayed them and they got rather fortunate and they got very lucky with a winning goal in the final. But, um, and I, I imagine we're going to get onto him a fair amount in this show. Paul Pogba was absolutely magnificent in those two games. Absolutely magnificent. And he was not absolutely magnificent against Leicester, but neither were about 10 other players on the United team. So. Um, anyway, it, yes, um, international break. That, that was, I mean, Nations League was all right. It's not the best tournament in the world, but it's more intense and a def- bunch of friendlies. Yeah, it's like it's it, it's better than the thing that it's replaced. It's like Joe Biden. You wouldn't choose it, but it's better than the thing it was replacing. <laughs> well, fair enough. Um, yes, uh, England, <laughs> England played Andorra and then who else? Who Andorra and Hungary. Hungary. Oh, yeah, Hungary was lovely because a bunch of black shirts were allowed into Wembley and they uh, put up a bunch of racist banners and started writing. Lovely. And the football was crap too. And then Andorra... Uh, was played on a plastic pitch, and I guess you're just thankful that everyone's ankles survived it. Um, that's that is that's all you're looking for, right? In plastic pitch games, pretty much. <laughs> uh, it, I didn't see any other international football, just uh, the England games and uh, the Nations League. What about you? Uh, no, I d- did my usual thing of making international break a proper break, and um, yeah, I was absolutely delighted to retrospectively discover. That the team, the international, one of the two international teams I support won a trophy. While I was like, "Oh yeah, that's happening." Um, I did. So. I did notice that uh, Fred turned into Zinedine Zidane and was spraying assists all over the place in Brazil's win. Uh, what? 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 <laughs> anyway, um, Brazil wonder- handily played on a Friday, so all their players missed the, the next club game. But uh, I, yeah, Fred plays a different role for Brazil. He doesn't try and play as a defensive midfielder. He's much further forward. Not that I'd really choose to have him there in the United side. But the thing is, it's it's. I mean, it's very similar to the Pogba thing, isn't it? It's just it's like systems problems. Like Pogba was rubbish against Leicester. He was playing in a double pivot alongside uh, alongside. I was going to say Harry Maguire alongside Nemanja Matic. He might as well have Harry, had Harry Maguire there. <laughs> the yeah, the chocolate tea part that is um, the Matic Pogba double pivot was pretty much um, the same in the, the double pivot in defence as well, wasn't it? Exactly, like that. That is a a quartet um, that you looked. I mean, you look at that when the team comes out. You're like we're shipping, we're shipping three or four here. Was my reaction? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, something else happened over the international break. Uh, you uh, went and uh, you, you went and quit the rent cast, Paul. What's going so, on? Sorry, brother. <laughs> um, yeah, in in news which I'm sure was a complete seismic shock to everyone that's listened to me going, I hate this. I don't want to do it anymore for the last two years. Uh, I need to hate. I just, of course do not hate this. Um, but yeah. Uh, I mean, I wrote a thing about it, which is out there. You can find it on Ed's Twitter or um, our Instagram, where, by the way, I just want to make something very clear. We didn't really discuss this beforehand, particularly. I just wrote something. We discussed that I'd write something. Ed would put it out. And Ed was like, so how are we going to do this? It's like, yeah, you know, whatever. And you were like, are you going to put a black and white picture of you looking moody into the distance on Instagram? And then I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds funny. And then I did it. And someone was like, oh, this totally made it look like you died. <laughs> yeah, I, so, know. <laughs> I was, I was actually trying to reply to that, but you can't reply with a picture. I was going to you know, scribble RIP Paul 1977 <laughs> to 2021. 
<laughs> Fortunately, I'm still here. Um, but yeah, um, I, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote about the the kind of whys of it. This I'll talk about this more at the at the like at Christmas when I'm calling it an actual day. Um, but this show's been like hanging out with you. It's one of the great joys of my life, and I just uh, have. I mean, I, 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 with apologies to everyone who listens between now and Christmas, I feel like I've massively run out of things to say about Man United. And after, you know, we've done 12 years and I was only supposed to do the first show um, and maybe come back occasionally. So, yeah, I, 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 um, I'm going to call it. And, and, you know, I know you're looking at ways to keep the show rolling and you'll definitely have at least one listener because I'll definitely listen. Yeah, well, we'll, uh, we'll see what will happen there um but yeah you had a good run you know 516 shows so far uh, yeah a couple more to come before christmas um let's see if you don't do a don bradman and just ruin it before the uh the end of your <laughs> end of your time get cancelled between now and december the question at this point is who is going to last longer in their current job me or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer right that's the that's the race. Well, that's right. Is um, he going to get to Christmas? What one person on Twitter whose name I completely forget now um, wrote to me and said, Ed, do you really have to make Paul work out his notice? He <laughs> suffered enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's. Uh, I mean, I didn't watch the game yesterday because it was a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday and not going and was out at a friend's birthday thing anyway. Um, and there was, obviously, it's not on the telly. Um but I've seen the highlights and it looks like a uh, what a legendary disaster class, to be honest. I mean, United's goals both meant, if you look at those in a kind of goal of the season roundup compilation, you'd be like an absolute, like just genius level Mason Greenwood long range shot into the top corner. And that, that Victor Lindelof's one really good special move where he pings a pitch perfect ball 80 yards like pitch perfect lofted through ball and Rashford back in the action latches onto it and smashes it home right I mean I was watching this on match of the day highlights today yes I'd known the score by this point for you know like 12 or 14 hours or whatever it was and when Rashford scored that goal and Ronaldo went and grabbed the ball and ran back to the centre circle, I thought United were going to win. Like I knew it was 14. <laughs> I knew what was coming. But like you, at this point, you just think the most United-y thing ever would be to win this game. But that, that's not what happened. Yeah, luck and, finally ran out. And the, and the truth is, United weren't in this ever. You know, Leicester, right from the beginning, were basically had control of the tempo and the style of the game that was going to happen. And and uh, I think Brenda Rogers just it was just like very straight after the game and succinctly said they weren't going to press us so we were just able to play through the lines and they did and and then that combined so no pressing up front you know we know Ronaldo won't um and Pogba and Matic in midfield are not going to do it um and um combined with Harry Maguire clearly still playing on one leg and not moving at all just was just was an absolute disaster waiting to happen. I mean, it was pretty shocking when Maguire was in um, because of calf injury. I think people thought this was too early and it proved to be the case. Um, and then just the structure of the team, you just look at it and you think, yeah, we're definitely shipping goals today. 
But the problem with that is United can't even do what Solskjaer became famous for at United, I mean, as a manager, I mean, which is, you know, sit deep and break because you play Ronaldo in there. there there's no transition. United aren't going to play on the transition. So what is it? We, we can't defend and we can't break. So we can't create any pressure at all. You can't ping one over the top, you know, until Rashford came on. So it was um, it was just, you know, it's set up um, to be a disaster right from the beginning. And it just felt really obvious. And I think that's why, I mean, Oli always gets pelters in social media anyway, when United don't win by six goals or whatever. Uh, and But I think he deserves all of them. Uh, and he sort of almost admitted to it after the game, didn't he? He said, if I made a mistake with Maguire, then then that's on me. And it, and it was on him, but it was not just Maguire, but Maguire had a hand, you know, to um, you know, greater degree in some of the goals, in all four of them, didn't he? Mm. I mean, the, the, let's talk about them, I guess. And this isn't meant to be a character assassination of a half-fit Harry Maguire who shouldn't have played, who was also playing alongside, you know, his calamitous friend, whether the two of them both look whatever, much lesser than the sum of their parts, you know. They're, they're you know, United are bad when Lindelof and Maguire play together. This is a shocking new revelation to everyone who watched the whole of last season when... We were bad every time they played together, basically. Um, but that first goal, I was like, oh, this isn't going to be a character assassination of Harry Maguire, but that first goal is so insanely beyond sloppy. I mean, it reminded me, I don't know if you remember this, you'd remember this goal or why anyone would, but England played the Netherlands just before the football season or just like the first international break of the season about 10 years ago, I suppose, maybe even longer than that. And Rio, Rio just like switched off a hundred percent. And he'd had this kind of reputation among United fans of, of having that in him. And he'd sort of stopped doing it. We saw it against Craig Bellamy in the Michael Owen city game. Yeah. Right. But this was just so when De Gea passed the ball out to him and Maguire just looked up down the flank to see where the ball where he could pass the ball and just completely must have been his blind spot or whatever, he just completely missed um Iheanacho. It's right there, dude. You need to go to the ball. Um and yeah. Yeah, I mean I I suppose you could say the pass from De Gea was a bit soft, but still you know, move to the ball. I, I'm not even sure it was, really. Uh, mm. And he just didn't. And yeah, it's um, this is three weeks out, rusty Harry Maguire with a calf injury. You know, they, Sasha said afterwards that he had no reaction to training. He'd had one day of training. Yeah. And yeah, missed the international break because he was injured. Like clearly, obviously disastrous. Um, and yeah, I don't know how much that contributed to Maguire just switching off. But I mean, he look this the the that mistake. What well, it wasn't the first mistake he made in the game either. He'd been right. caught before that. You, right. you know, and like it, it's like the it, at the Christmas pantomime. You're like he's behind you. <laughs> you know, and, and it was just yeah, yeah, awful, truly awful, and obviously a completely splendid finish from. Oh. A very high quality player in Yuri Tielemans and, you know, let's say 0.01 XG chance there. But <laughs> he wouldn't have had the 0.01 XG 
XG of chance if if Maguire had just done a decent thing and like you know passed it to a teammate after waking up. Yeah, and uh, you know it, the punishment is as bad as it could possibly be. But there's every chance that you make a mistake like that in that area of the pitch, then it's not going to take a moment of worldy magic. That's why teams press high, right? Because yeah. it creates chances, and and teams press high against Manchester United because we are not able to play it out from the back. That's one of the reasons, like Rafael Varane was was signed this season, and unfortunately he's going to be out for weeks. Like who knows? I mean, yeah, maybe that's... Ollie picks him against Liverpool next weekend because he's so desperate. I don't know. Um, but but it, yeah, that was one of the leaps forward that Varane was you know, supposed to bring, and he is a very good accomplished passer and if United want to keep it and keeping the ball is proven statistically to help you create more chances and if United want to beat the high press which only a few teams in the league actually really play but but still you know some of the better teams in the mm-hmm. league play then we've got to do better and yeah it was just I mean it was it got to the point where at, at one point um Ollie was out on the touchline basically telling them to lump it just bypass midfield you know, and just go forward. And that's Victor Lindelof took that to heart and pinged it forward for Marcus Rashford. Great. Um, but you know, before that game was a like more disaster, wasn't it? And it's you know, like United were thoroughly beaten in this game, and but then contributed to it with a um, a bunch of mistakes for the goals. Yeah, um, I can't remember what order the goals came in. The there was Sayanchu from the. Corner next, I think. Yeah. yeah, scrappy, right? That was scrappy, that but um, Maguire not picking up his man. Like, so United's marks only. So he did this twice from corners. Maguire did. I'm sticking two fingers up for those of you, you know, <laughs> on our podcast. <laughs> uh, he like they don't have in common with many teams in the division. United don't play players on the post from set pieces anymore. Um, sure. and, but you you marks only, so you pick up your man. An even bigger crime, by the way, for. Um, Daka's goal at the end. Um, even worse, even more obviously, Maguire's <laughs> man. But um, yeah, didn't didn't um, didn't defend his zone there, which was um, you know United have a problem with anyway from set pieces, uh, which is why we've got a new set piece coach. Uh, and yeah, this happened. And then the the Vardy one five minutes later. Oh, I mean, that one was rough. He's. He's on him. He's he's actually the right side of Jamie Vardy. All Vardy does is step out and you know, Maguire, I'm going to guess because he's not really fit, wants to anticipate where the ball is going to go. So anticipates yeah. the ball across the six-yard area, even though there's three other defenders around there. <laughs> that, that's and not the, the cutback. So, so this is, I, I, I watched this like the Zabruga film, right? I watched this like, I always say that name wrong. Zabruga is the Belgian... Fairy disaster, Zabruda. Anyway, the, whatever the film is, I, I watched this over and over again because I was like, "Is this ridiculously harsh on Maguire to really lay into him for this?" Because, but because you can see why he would anticipate the ball being played back across. But he's just got Vardy, got Vardy, got Vardy. Oh, not got Vardy. Should I get Vardy? Oh, I haven't got Vardy. Like, it's just, it all happens really quick. And, it, and the absolute key thing, like you said, is that he was free to go and get Vardy because plenty of people were there to cut out right. the ball across. But listen, at, at that level, in, in those moments, these are split-second decisions. This is very easy to look extremely foolish. Jamie Vardy's made a lot of strike, a lot of defenders look extremely foolish for years and years and years. 
It's not the ultimate crime against football to make a mistake like that. It's just, he just had a really bad game. And this was another mistake in a, in a series of mistakes. Juan Bissaka in the build-up for that goal was like absolute war criminal stuff on um, on the player that he took out on the flank. Um, just Just really trying to like, right, no, we are not going to concede possession here. And I don't care if I have to break several ligaments in your legs on the way to that happening um yeah but unfortunately the ref played advantage so it didn't work when Bissaka will play against Atalanta in midweek because he got his um red card ban rescinded or, or did it reduced to reduced to one game I can't remember I, I, okay right. so yes oh, um yeah which I don't know will help United defensively because he's having a bit of a mare of a season as well uh, it's a problem. And, and so, like all over the pitch, United, like, look, four mistakes, I think, four goals that could have been defended better and, and sure. you'd expect United to be to defend those better. But, you know, the the real crime in a way is, is you know, United set up and the fact that it was just so easy for Leicester to play through and around us. So easy. I mean, the bit that Shearer pointed out on Match of the Day, more, more of whom later, I would imagine, um, it was one of the most shocking packages of play you'll ever see. Leicester have got the ball in their own box and uh, Sancho, Ronaldo, Fernandez, and Greenwood are in a, a line as a four and Bruno half presses. No one goes with him. The player just plays a very easy pass um, in between those lines. And then the next player plays another pass between Pogba and Matic. And within two passes and absolutely no pressure on the ball at any point, they've got the ball from their box to well into our half. With And, and they've gone from their centre-back having the ball to our centre-backs being the ones facing up. Right. Not, not having had any difficulty whatsoever applied to them. And um, everyone knows I don't like him. So this is a... There's a kind of bias here, but please, please trust me when I say I'm setting this aside to say this is one of the reasons why Ronaldo was a horrific signing from a football perspective, because um, United have to completely reinvent themselves to play with Ronaldo up front. They, they do. They have to they have to play the ball into feet all the time. And for three years under Oli, they've been playing the ball into space. They can't do it anymore with Ronaldo up there. I mean, look, his movement yesterday was terrible. He was just... You know, rock solid statue. And I don't know whether he's tired because he went away. You know, he had a nice rest in the game before the international break, but he went away with Portugal and uh, scored a hat trick against Luxembourg. So yeah, clearly his finishing is still up there with the very best. Um, yeah. But he wasn't even moving yesterday. He doesn't press. We know he doesn't press. He's never going to do it. He's not going to chase a ball into space and he's not going to press. And, and that like caused a real problem for United. And so the pace ball carrying and movement has to come from the wings or the fullbacks. It's only going to come from one fullback. So all of a sudden you've actually restricted United's attacking opportunities. But you can't play through transitions because we just don't have that pace anymore. Uh, and that, it's a real problem. And then, you know, in, in central midfield, the, we know Pogba is not going to press. We've tried him in a double pivot many, many times. It doesn't seem to work for United. It does work for France, so that they, they played three at the back, and it gives him that extra level of security. Um, played with um, uh, played with uh, 
Tushimani in the final and with Rabio in the semi final. And Tushimani has got better legs, you know, he does the work. Um, mm. Looks like a very good player. Don't watch a lot of League One, so couldn't really comment on that. But, um, you know, like alongside Matic, obviously no one's going to be there to to yeah. have the legs for Pogba. I mean, United do have a problem with Pogba. They're offered him this huge contract because there's very few players in world football that can have got the individual skills, passing range, you know, press durability, creativity, all, all of that that Pogba has. But they've never been able to work out the system problem, right? You can't play him in as two number 10s with Bruno. They've tried him off the left, but we've probably got better options there it doesn't work well, in a double pivot so what what is the answer i don't i'm not sure you know well i think the answer is to play him on the left and and i don't i he, better we have different options there but we don't have anyone that can do what he does there and he got seven assists in two games or six assists in two games playing there or whatever it was um so it's like if you're going to play him you've got to play him you've got to play him alongside a midfielder who can do uh the work that his colleagues for France do in front of a defence that's solid or you play them on the left of a three in midfield or the left on a four in a four two three yeah. one and that's United United's problem is that their squad is completely unbalanced like it's it's not it's not completely unbalanced in the way it was previously where there are holes all over the place it's just all the holes have been fixed except for the one that hasn't been fixed, and that one is causing the knock-on effect everywhere else. And we've now got yet one more elite world superstar forward, and this one also he's going to score millions of goals, but makes the system worse. Yeah, so, oh no, for sure. Look, I mean, um, I, I think look, uh, we've got quite a bit of evidence now this season that United have added Varane, Sancho, and Ronaldo, and look a worse team. You know, it's it's starting to become, you know, hate to say it, but it's starting to feel like Jonathan Wilson might have been right. Um, well, you know, time will tell on that one. Um, but uh, but yeah, look, uh, we've had a, a game against Leeds and half a game against Newcastle of good football and the rest of it's been pretty terrible. And, and three losses in the last five. One of the victories over Villarreal was really fortunate. Um, you know, it's it's not um, it's not unfair to say we're in a period of, you know, pretty, um, pretty dark form here and the, two wins in seven right, right? yeah the, and the pressure is on ollie and it should be on ollie because you know when he started everyone said he needs time he needs time he needs time three years is time three years is time and you know this is not hashtag ollie out it's just like the scrutiny is on united aren't playing good football and aren't getting the results well of course the pressure is going to be on the manager um and and you know at some point it becomes too much and and he goes probably but you know in unless unless he can find a way to sort out the systemic problems and and get United playing good football again. And there's look, there's plenty of talent there. We just saw with with Mason Greenwood, you know, lashing one into the top corner with his left foot. Left foot, right foot, doesn't really matter, does it? Um, you know, there's so many players who can produce moments of brilliance. And there have been times when United have defended well this season and sometimes last season. But putting it all together consistently against quality opposition or in fact you know not very high quality opposition too sometimes yeah is, is a real problem it's still a real problem now 2021 160 odd games into ollie's reign 
Atalanta, Liverpool, Spurs, Atalanta, City, Villarreal, Chelsea. Yes. That's what's that's what's coming. Oh, it's Arsenal. After that, I didn't even put them on the list because they were Arsenal. Um, and the the thing about that run is, of course, United have pulled out results in runs like that lots and lots of times under right. Solskjaer. It's almost the defining positive characteristic of his time in charge. Um, I. I mean, I guess I've been surprised every time United have done that. I'll be particularly surprised this time um, because there isn't anything going on that makes you think that that's coming. Although, you know, we we, we don't know. But um, the... the Sorry, i let you say because I was going to go on to say something else. No, no, I was just going to... I mean, the, you're, you're totally right. Those kind of um, results have been pulled out in the past and, and you know, he's been under pressure and gone away to Paris Saint-Germain and whatnot, something like that. It, it does feel a bit different this time because I don't know how this system gets him those results. You know, the ability to keep a clean sheet. Well, I haven't kept a clean sheet. Well, like one in 18 games or something like that. It's half a season. Can't keep clean sheets. Um, and we can't play on the break with Ronaldo. We just, just cannot. You cannot do where you have a statue up front. Um, mm. You have to play it all into feet. You have to play a different style of football. And and then the, the thing I really wanted to say was that before the game, Oli said, um, he, he went on he, he, he went on this big explanation about, you know, we pick systems and, and styles for each game, you know, and he, it was all about kind of flexibility, right? But that's why United don't have a defining identity. It's by design. And and that's a real problem, isn't it? It's a real problem because now we're going, how is it we play for this game? You know, we got to play with Ronaldo. So actually the system isn't really designed for each game. We're playing with Ronaldo. Uh, and I, I suppose he could drop Pogba, but I don't think he wants to because then United have this real problem getting the ball into the final third because you're not going to progress the ball with McFred. You know, just McFred. Um, mm. And, you know, top coaches find those solutions. And I kind of feel that Ollie hasn't and maybe can't. Yeah, and, and you know, we've we've talked about this quite a lot so far this season, but the, the you know, Tuchel, Guardiola, Klopp would all be playing McFred, as you said, in this, you know, some, some very, well, maybe not Guardiola. Guardiola would play, you know, Cavani in central midfield with Pogba or whatever. <laughs> um, but the, you know... There'd be a lot of a lot of people looking at that and going, well, the way you make this work is by playing like the closest thing you can get to this working is play McFred in centre midfield, play Cavani up front, Pogba on the left, Greenwood on the right, Bruno behind him. Then you've got you've got ball progression, movement, quality. You know, there's a a way. I'm not saying it's perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, um, they bought Jaden Sancho to fill the gap on the right wing. He hasn't played there once and. No, but, he's been playing off the left and he's lacking in confidence. A couple of moments against Leicester, a couple of moments in the and England Andorra game as well, made a couple of part-time defenders look very silly. And there's, you know, there's some questions around like why he's started badly. Is it a systems thing? I mean, they um, he's obviously playing a very dif- different system than the mid-block Gengen press and play through transitions that... Borussia Dortmund play right so there's that um is it playing off the left I mean he does very well playing off the left scores a lot of goals historically sure. um, is it a fitness thing who knows I, I is it is it uh the center forward doesn't do any of his running for him thing like Haaland 
it's a very different aspect, yeah. obviously. But yeah, yeah I mean, he's too talented a player to for this to be his United career, and he's like eight, nine games into it. So, sure, I, I'm not. I'm less worried about him than I'm worried about the whole system. Um, yeah. And the, yeah, the 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 thing that's uh, happening. I mean, this is very extraordinarily anecdotal. It's the definition of anecdotal, but it feels to me like not that Ole is like losing. Yeah, your hardcore Reds, your hardcore travelling support Reds. But there's a lot of, yeah, unfortunately, I think it's probably reached a time when dot, dot, dot kind of chat. Um, and yes, when 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 the doubt um, extends from, you know, the bottom half of the internet to the terraces or the, you know, neatly coiffured seats as you get these days um then then you've got a real problem for sure but yeah but uh, like woodward is not going to sack him because woodward's going at the end of the year he's he doesn't want to be the that's not his legacy he doesn't want to be the man that makes that decision um so maybe it's up to richard arnold who looks even more of a patsy than ed woodward um so then it's really up to joel glazer joy well, it's always been up to Joel Glazer, hasn't it? Like that's you know that's that's the thing, isn't it? The Athletic reporting that the um, the man there's no chance Oli goes. He's got way too much credit with the bank. They see it with the board, the um, in the bank with the board. They see it as a transitional period and all that kind of stuff. Like, yep, that is definitely exactly true today. Let's uh, let's see if that's still true after Atalanta, Liverpool, Spurs, Atalanta, City, Villarreal, Chelsea. You know, the, if that goes really badly, that credit will get burnt through very quickly, I think. Yeah. So I want want to, to say about Ole, he said two things on match the day after the game. Two sentences back to back, unless they edited this in a stitchy-uppy way, um, which I don't think they did. It looked like answer and then follow-up question and answer. And I think this is very, very telling about the sort of the dichotomy of Solskjaer whereby... There's something there. There's not quite enough there. He said, we need to look at the whole setup of the team, the whole balance of the team. Maybe something has to give. And you think, well, actually, that's quite, that's quite a bold post-match statement. And that's what you've spent the last 20 minutes saying. It's like, we'll need to look at the whole setup of the team. I think maybe something has to give. What that is, what the options are, all that, you know, that isn't in the answer, but the, that's the thesis, right? The next sentence... He said, and I don't disagree with anything that he says next, by the way, just to be clear, I'm not being like hipster snarky about it. It's just very telling because in the next sentence, he said every point in the Premier League, you've got to fight for, you've got to tackle, you've got to block, you've got to win headers. And it's like, well, which is it, Ole? Is it, is it that this, the whole balance of the team and the setup of the team is wrong and maybe something has to give? Or is it that we just don't want it enough? Like those two things, are, and, and it can be both of those things. Because the setup of the team diminishes the level of wanting it among the team because they're frustrated and exhausted. And Pogba said some stuff after the game, which is like, mm, um, all is not well in, in, you know, it's not a happy camp at the moment. Well, Pogba said basically the same thing, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and yeah, I, I mean, apart from the defending and the passing <laughs> and the forward play, <laughs> what exactly is wrong, golly? Yeah, but it's just, it, do you want to be Pep? I said this, I remember saying this on the show right when he got the job. So you look through the people that Solskjaer was following on Twitter, because he was one of the 
few he was fairly high profile football manager with an active Twitter account followed loads of like Pep Guardiola tactics kind of accounts and you know he was clearly like very serious about coaching and systems and learning and all that kind of stuff but in the end he's he's he always defaults to the kind of Fergie impression and the the kind of like just make them want it enough and um it's not enough they the they have demonstrated massive passion for the cause. They've, you know, this game marked the end of a record-breaking spell of not losing away from home that was based entirely on not giving up, fighting for every ball, going for every header, trying to right. get every tackle and every block and never giving up until the end. You know, they went behind in some insane percentage of those games and came back and fought. So, you know... It, I don't think he can reasonably be faulted or can he reasonably fault the effort levels of his players in general in totality in his time in charge. The problem is much more the first thing. There's a problem with the whole setup of the team. And I think it's an insurmountable problem without making very major calls and dropping big, big, big name players um, or spending some more money in January on filling the gap that needed to be filled. It was the second biggest priority. I I think I do think, and this game showed centre-back was still the biggest priority because even this game, if you'd had Varane alongside Maguire, I think it would have been better. So anyway. Yeah. Well, um, there was a report circulating that the uh, Glazers may allow the club to spend up to 75 million in the net transfer window, if United look like they're sustaining a title challenge. I mean, it might be more like if United could sustain a challenge for fourth place, because that's you know, all the business model is based on, right? Uh, it, it, Yeah, I, I, I'm i lost a little bit for words because I, I don't want to keep repeating myself. But I, sure. look, I think um, you're probably right that the credit in the bank with Oli for his transition from the disaster of the post-Mourinho era to where we are today is high enough with the owners that they're not going to make a you know, a decision based on the last six or seven or ten games this season. Sure. Yeah. But, as you said, Atlanta twice, City, Chelsea, Liverpool, etc. and so on, right? Three or four defeats in that run, the pressure is going to be ma- magnificently high, isn't it? It's going to be almost yeah. impossible to resist. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, I mean, I hope there, for Oli, he managed to pull something out. I just I, like I with each game that goes by, I feel that there's less chance of him doing it because he doesn't seem to learn some fundamentals. At the risk of sounding like one of the Mourinho people at the back end of the Mourinho time, one of the questions is, who do you replace him with? Because that. I think well there was there was a trivially easy answer to that question at the time, which was not the choice that Manchester United made. And in the end, I'm glad they didn't because the ride there's been aspects of this ride which for for pure emotion have been hard to top. Yeah. Um Well look, I think um yeah, without listing a bunch of names, we, we haven't seen the the board go for a sort of bold younger appointment. And Ali was a a temporary one, like a sop to the fans. And yeah, former hero comes in. Everyone rode on the wave of like that um, that roller coaster, and and then they just offered him the job too early. Basically, you know, 
everything else has been really conservative in their appointment. So it'd be really surprising if they, like, you know, appointed uh, someone from the Bundesliga, Marcus Rose or Jesse Marsh or, you know, one of the sort of younger sort of coaches there. They're not going to get Negosman or Klopp or Guardiola or Tuchel, you know, the, and, and they might even do something absolutely disastrous. And they might do something absolutely disastrous, like appoint Antonio Conte or something like that. You know, I don't trust them to get this right. Just as I don't really trust the club yet, if Paul Pogba goes at the end of the season, to get the right kind of replacement in, you know, and and for United to be able to move forward in a way that many people think basically, you know, the club should and just move on from that era. So it's, uh, you know... Be careful of what you wish for, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I completely agree. I, I don't think I would. Well, you know, you can celebrate someone you don't like. I'm not talking about Solskjaer here, but you can celebrate someone you don't like leaving without celebrating who's coming in. Newcastle. Um, but the, you know, if Antonio Conte replaces Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, then just, I mean, I, I, maybe that I can't. I don't know. Maybe maybe I can see it, but that would just be anyone that wants that. What are you? What are you? Go off to to paraphrase Alex Ferguson. Go and support Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, you know what you're going to get with Conte. He's a, he's a manager who gets something out of players, but it's a disaster for the club. Um, like every time, basically. <laughs> we, I mean, where have we seen this movie before? Oh, I know. Apart from the get something out of players bit nowadays. <laughs> Shall we move on from the uh, the human rights violation that was United's defence? No, against... Harry Maguire was Harry Maguire did nothing but support the human rights of the players around him, and especially their right to freedom of assembly. <laughs> well, that's right. Uh, inside United's six yard box, unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah. So we can't we can't not talk about the takeover that happened um, during the break uh, at Newcastle and the reaction to it. And you know, I think so. You know, I had, like anyone who's listened to this podcast, like can guess exactly what we're going to say in this segment. So you know, clearly it's a pretty abhorrent regime. If you don't know anything about them, like there's plenty of Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International reports out there that will talk to you about the the rights of women of LGBTQ plus communities, of any kind of political distance. Um, you know, you you only have to, like, go back three years when a political distant slash journalist had his head cut off um, uh, in a foreign embassy um, to understand what this regime is about. And, you know, there's been just a massive, huge, disingenuous PR effort by um, Newcastle, the new owners, and the Premier League um, to pretend this is some kind of investment um, and not another nation state owning a club. Because, you know, like, I'm afraid the words are on the tin, folks. That it's the public investment fund of. Saudi Arabia, the nation state, which is headed up by the crown prince and there are six or seven ministers on the board of the investment fund. It's the strategic investment fund. That fund is Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is the fund. It's a nation state owning the club, you know, for sport washing reasons, because this regime is abhorrent. Um, And there has been some media discussion of that and some very good, you know, Ed and Crafton did a really well sort of research and a very powerful piece in the 
Athletic, I think, came out yesterday about the impact on um, LGBTQ communities and how you know how they live in fear of their lives. Um, there's there's off there's not been a lot in the Athletic, I've got to say, because of its kind of fan centric business model. Um, so yeah, certainly the Newcastle uh, correspondents. I, I don't think I'm doing them in disservice to say they haven't dived deep. Haven't really in the podcast. Some of the other media have. TIFO, obviously. TIFO, TIFO, TIFO did, yeah. TIFO, Some right. of the media have. But but that's not really the question, right? We're one week in. The question is, like, after after we get past this initial, you know, this is about sport washing, this is human rights, should we be doing this as a community, football community? After that goes and Newcastle start buying lots of players and having some kind of level of success and playing good football and have celebrity manager or whatever, they just talk about the football all the time. And and um, so, you know, that the kind of level of scrutiny will go away. And we've seen this. You know, we know how this film ends. And then the other thing that happens is you weaponize a fan base. And that's already happened with the Newcastle oh, yeah. fan base. And, of course, they should be delighted that Mike Ashley has gone. Um, because he did nothing good for what is one of the great, you know, English football clubs. Should be delighted with that. Unfortunately, they should not be delighted with who's come in. And I think they haven't quite read that script. I mean, of course, they is a big word, isn't it? It is a very big word, but the plurality. I'd even say the majority or very high majority of Newcastle fans. Anecdotally, of course. Which is exactly what would happen if Saudi had taken over United. A hundred percent. Of course. Yeah. Not pretending yeah. otherwise, we'd be two lonely yeah. voices complaining about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, everyone. Um, the, yeah. The. I mean, we've seen we've seen this happen at City. We've seen this happen at PSG. These 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 conversations will die down. I mean, there is this ultra liberal idea, and I, I use the word liberal pejoratively in this sense, um, that. This draws attention to the conversation, and you're like, "Yeah, all right, yeah, okay, well, great." I mean, if that turns out to be true, I'll be absolutely delighted. Um, I, I, I do not believe that to be the case. No, I mean, and, I, and I think that's a very narrow view of how sport washing works. It's, it's not just about the positive press coverage. It's also access. You know, this, this, this is one of the Premier League's one of the UK's most successful ex- exports. It's a small, it's a small industry. Um, but, but it, it has enormous soft power. Enormous soft power, and now the Saudi royal family and regime have access to that soft power, and they are part of it. You know, and and that, and we don't know what happened behind the scenes, um, and how much the government got involved in this. You know, what we do know is that this happened as soon as the Saudis decided to stop pirating content, and that the concerns of Premier League were Premier League clubs were solely about that. You know, solely about being one of their major broadcast partners saying, no way. And we, you know, who knows? Being may well have decided to unilaterally cancel their contract um, yeah. if if the Premier League hadn't blocked this takeover. And so, you know, the, the reproachment was only about that, not about human rights, not about the concerns of other big clubs, or that I'm sure they have concerns now that seven into four might not go. Um, but... But yeah, only only about the financials. United um, have a deal in place with the Saudi Development Fund. Um, 
The, yes, they do. They've had that for some time, like a couple um, of years. Uh, youth football development, and they have sponsorship. I don't know whether they still have sponsorship, but they did have sponsorship from Saudi Telecom, which is about seventy percent owned by the the the, uh, the the regime. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this before. Yeah. 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 Of yeah. Course. So the the thing that I was going to go on to say, United have links into Saudi. Um, tell you who really has links into Saudi: the British government. And this is yeah, this is the thing that's happened. Like this is the. Uh, why I found it almost impossible to imagine that this would end with Newcastle not being taken over by Saudi Arabia is because the the interests of the British government and aspects of power and control and in and military industry stuff you know all the big the big stuff that actually moves things that's all that's all they're in they're in total lockstep and you know um the the, the Premier League clubs you mentioned. Uh, being worried about the the deal, I think the Premier League as an institution was that the the Premier League clubs have apparently registered an unhappiness with this, but that's the complete nonsense hypocrisy of like, well, oh, it's not fair. This is someone else gets to have this, you know, um, you know that the United and Tottenham apparently not happy with this. Like, oh, well, I wonder, wonder why Man United and Tottenham Hotspur would be unhappy of this. Do you think it's because they care so passionately about the human rights abuses at stake, or they don't believe in a in a non community based ownership model, or whatever, whatever, whatever? Like, it's just all horrific hypocrisy, isn't it? Someone on Facebook put um, uh, that they weren't surprised by the news that I had decided to leave because when they saw the Newcastle takeover, they were like, this is too much for me. There's no way it's not going to be too much for Paul. I have to say, I'd already decided by that point. So it was not a deciding factor, but it is in fact too much for my brain to handle. Well, yes, and it's too much for the brains of many pundits um, in the football community to handle either. You know, like Jamie Redknapp and co on the sidelines doing previews of games and, and in no position to be able to like proper properly analyze what this means and and yeah but that's another aspect of the whole you know the 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 approach and the strategy you know the football community cannot properly cope with this you know that's why sport washing works on all its levels um this is this is the thing because i just want to all i want to do is shut up about this stuff you know that's all i want to do is just is is shut up about it because it's boring and it's depressing and all of those kinds of things and we like We've said loads of times we started this show to talk about United, not talk about the world's ills. Uh, it's just that football is politics and politics is football. Like there's no, there's no, there's no nothing. There's no sphere of human existence that doesn't involve a um, socio-political dimension because it's the nature of these things. And um, the so Shearer was on Match of the Day last night. Shearer's been gleeful about this. He's taken a job. It was very smart PR again from the people making these decisions because he's such a, a vocal opponent of the Ashley um, regime and he's obviously, for perfectly good reason, a massive hero at Newcastle. Um, but the um, the kind of gleeful celebration on his part leaves a little bit of a distaste and, and they, they very rudimentarily addressed the the existence of human rights problems and mark chapman gave a friend of the show mark chapman gave 
Shearer way too easy and out by saying, and of course it's good that these of these human rights abuses are being uh, a light is being shone on these because that might do something about it. You know, yeah, that, that uh, line. The, and yeah, anyway. the, the next part of that line normally is I'm not saying Mark Chapman said this, but normally is something along the lines of, oh, and maybe the regime will be you know better as a result yeah, of this. Well, that was yeah. that was the vibe. Yeah, and no, they won't, uh, and it's not um, uh, like. The regime didn't bat an eyelid when they hacked up a journalist of a prominent Western newspaper in a Turkish embassy and everyone complained about it because they know nothing will be done. Um, and and so now they have a nice shiny new plaything. Uh, they will buy success. I, I thought saw, who was it? Maybe it was Tim Sherwood, another dumb pundit anyway, <laughs> um, saying, oh, you can't buy success. Yeah, they can absolutely. They can go buy 15, 50 million pound players and get themselves into the the Champions League, um, and and then can start buying a hundred million pound players and start winning things. So after that, there's no limit. You can't buy you can't buy success. Which is why Paris Saint Germain have won all but two of the the French league titles, which is not their historical position, by the way, um, since their takeover. And Manchester City, Manchester City, literally like and and you know. A, a, a club with a long storied rich history of which a solid 30 years of it was just being funny are now like maybe the best team in Europe but it's you can't buy success All right. yeah and, you know. and look maybe maybe there's hope for, just, we're just talking about football and finances maybe there's uh, you know some people may wish there's hope in like financial fair play rules and it's a whole Newcastle <laughs> back or whatever you know and then maybe it will for one or two windows until we discover, uh, you know, the Saudi tourist board and uh, some resort and, you know, well, a bunch of related companies beginning with S uh, become this sponsors. Is, yeah, we know the model. This is the thing about this particular one as well, because the model, that model is literally baked into the the co- like the fact that they got to buy the club because like, oh, no, 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 we're not the Saudi regime. We're just the uh, investment fund of the Saudi regime. That's totally different. No, no, no. We're not the we're not the investment fund. We're the airline. <laughs> like anyway, the whole the whole thing is awful. I mean, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, in a sort of um, like ugly rubbernecking sort of way. There's part of me that's like, oh, huh, wonder how long it's going to take before they're in the top four. You know, is that going to be four seasons? Is it going to be three? Um, Steve Bruce, it looks like he is going to get to do his thousandth game in charge of a, well, of a team. Today in defeat oh, to Tottenham. Today, that was right. thousand, yeah, what, that was. Yeah. What was the score? 3-2 uh, to Tottenham. Right. Uh, and um, yeah, he was very snarky in his press conference um, about journalists who'd written him off. He was like, some of you should be under pressure because, you know, you got your, your sources got it wrong. Yeah. Just He's gone sooner or later. Yeah. It's not a good look on Uncle Brucey, is it? It's just not a good look on him. The, the snark. It's like, no, you, your only hope is cuddliness. That's, that's the only thing you've got going for you. If you start mixing it up with these people, like, especially since he's, he's had probably a considerably easier ride from some journalists than he's deserved at various different stages of his uh, footballing career. Anyway, when he does go, I will always remember him for the press conference where 
uh, I think he was Birmingham manager, maybe we, anyway, one of his many jobs, um, ma- managing directly rival clubs from each other, which is weirdly the thing that he does most often. Um, when Rooney scored the goal from the halfway line against West Ham, and he's watching the in in the back of the room that he's in, and he goes, "Oh, don't don't ask, don't worry about me. What you what he's done is much more important than what I've just. Oh, wazza! It was a nice, it was lovely. It's just a nice moment of Steve Bruce, Man United fan." All right, shall we move on? United play yeah. Atalanta uh, in the Champions League in midweek. So, you know, one defeat, one victory so far. No good performances from United. Atalanta, sixth in Serie A. Um, have a, I mean, they're still, you know, still, they're still punching above their weight. Gasparini has a very particular style, which has so many red flags. I mean, it's a, it's a meme at the moment, right? You know, United's defence versus... Atlanta's forwards, red flag, red flag, red flag. Uh, hey, so um, it, uh, had you heard of the red flag thing before the Man United did the Ronaldo tweet? No. No, I, me neither. I'm not I cool enough to... to know these things. I don't think it's cool yeah. though, is it? it that, that's not the right word. Well, that that one definitely wasn't cool, by the way. Um, oh, there's a for... lot of red flags with Ronaldo. <laughs> not maybe yeah. for the reason that United were yeah. trying to convey yeah. anyway yes um i have to say quite concerned about this game um i think you know at uh atlanta mixed bag of results they they um got beaten by milan recently but milan are doing pretty well this season um i think they'll be in empoli this weekend yeah 4-1 yeah so um lots of reasons to be concerned about um quality um, and the style and its matchup with United. And the fact, this is really important. I mean, lose this and United are desperately underwater. And this, this is the thing could, that could get Solskjaer fired before uh, the turn of the year is, is if United don't get out of this group. Yeah, um, it's interesting. They're, one of one of uh, their statistical weaknesses, Atalanta, is defending against skillful players. So maybe maybe we've got some hope because I feel like we have got lots of skillful players that um, that we would be. Uh, also, they've got avoiding individual error, which is a really funny. I don't know. I've always found that to be like a really funny statistical measure. Like, oh, we are weak at avoiding individual error. That sounds bad. <laughs> you want to fix that? That definitely isn't good. <laughs> if you're bad at avoiding individual error. <laughs> Um, they they are uh, very strong at, uh, at aerial duels and defending set pieces. Strong at creating scoring chances. Boo! I don't want to play a team that's strong at creating scoring chances. <laughs> C- creating long shot opportunities, creating chances through individual skill and worryingly protecting the lead. So... Uh, the maths would suggest we don't want to go behind early against Atalanta. They are obviously... I mean... They are just fun with a capital F. Um, they are. I mean, they, they play in this very specific system. They'll play three at the back. They'll play with wing backs who do get really far forward. We we saw um, uh, Mela, who will probably play off the left for Denmark um, in the summer. Yeah, really excellent wing back. Zappacosta may play on the other side. They're strong through central midfield. And, and then they play with two up front. And you don't see lots of teams playing with two up front, um, except those that maybe play three at the back although three four three seems to be more in vogue but yeah they that and it's going to be direct matchup against harry Maguire and victor lindelof another reason to be very concerned um obviously after like voicing all these concerns i'm going to predict a united win but um you know <laughs> i don't have to have any evidence for that by the way it's just 
it's just we just feel it. <laughs> you start talking about this, and then it feels like that should happen. Um, and then uh, you know, after that, it's fine, isn't it? Nothing, nothing to worry about. Not, not problems. So all, all just going to be fine at the weekend, isn't it? No, no big game happening there. Not at all terrifying. They're not in absolutely electric form with the forward who is playing the best football of his absolutely unbelievable career. I like, mean, it's fine. It's fine. Mo Salah makes, you know, mobile defenders look silly. And repeatedly. He keeps repeating the same bloody goal as well, doesn't that, he? That, that goal against Watford was just... I mean, it was offensive. And the ball he played for Mane, for Mane's 100th... Prem goals. Yes, I mean... Disgusting. So, you know, if we have reason to be worried about you know, the midweek fixture with Atlanta, I mean, it's just... It's just Like, make a case. Come on, let's let's play devil's advocate. Make a case for United winning this game. It's at Old Trafford, so there's Red, that. Red devil's advocate. Um, uh, United have been really good in big games, not just... By counterattacking, so one of the reasons why um, Solskjaer has an ab- above-average record against Pep Guardiola is because he does um, get his forwards and midfielders hunting in packs in those games, and there is a kind of real energy and aggression. I think he won't. I mean, there's no chance he'll play anything other than McFred in that game. So there'll be a 100%. lot of energy, a lot of energy in the central midfield and an area where Liverpool are probably that's probably Liverpool's biggest vulnerability. So um, we might well create turnovers high up the pitch, um, and we've obviously got the players who can put the ball in the back of the net. The the key will be starving. Salah and um, Mane of uh, possession. Well, Luke Shaw's done a great job on uh, Mo Salah a number of times. He's going to have to. Really, that sounded really convincing, didn't it? Like that was that was it, like it quite a I, good job. I mean, in a, in um, you know, in a world devoid of all of United's weaknesses and all of Liverpool's strengths, that's a great argument. For how no, United... no, I'm talking about how United can negate their own weaknesses and cause problems for Liverpool using the weakest aspects of their team against Liverpool. Um, so when I see Ronaldo like pounding it all over the pitch, pressing as as um, Matip and and uh, Van Dijk have it at the back, uh, then I'll know it's on. So there's no chance of that happening. By the way, <laughs> um, I mean uh, the one one thing that I think is a real shame about the Ronaldo signing, uh, among many things I think are a real shame about that signing, is the is the sidelining of Edinson Cavani, who who did provide a focal point in a different way, like it not, it's not a purely a counter-attacking centre forward by any means. And he could really, um, he was really useful for United when they were in possession, but could also create loads of space for onrushing other players with his movement uh, for counter-attacks. And, and I mean, there's no chance this will ever happen, especially with Fergie telling UFC fighters that, oh, uh, Shouldn't rest your best players or whatever it was that he said. I mean, how Alex Ferguson is big. Alex Ferguson at his big age is up in the big, looking at the big sign saying, "Sir Alex Ferguson stand going." Oh, you can't rest your best player. Alex Ferguson saying you can't rest your best players. It, famously, he only ever played his good team once in that entirety of a Premier League season. That's right. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it. yes, it It felt a bit cheap, that. But he was having a private conversation. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. It, sure, it was, sure, sure, sure. He's sure. being reductive. Sure, sure. Yeah. 
but Andy was yeah. talking to someone whose English is not their first language and exactly, loads of other things. You um, know, and then he turned away from that conversation and got out his tombola uh, and you know <laughs> reviewed some of his best ever team selections. <laughs> oh God, love him. Um, oh, yeah, th- th- that makes me uh, just br- brings to mind uh, a couple of things that have happened during the international break. Before we get to predictions. Um, and also, I just want to say, I don't think I said this at the beginning of the show, but my God, um, I just wanted to say thank you to, to people because the volume and content of the messages of love and support and kindness and appreciation, um, there were obviously people that were sad that, you know, we're going to um, stop doing the show together or I'm going to stop doing my bit. Um but the number of people who were just like happy for me and just, but also the number of the show people for whom the show clearly means something, you know, it's really easy to say this, but it, I can't convey the level of sincerity with which I mean it. This was incredibly, incredibly touching and um, uh, hard to take, frankly, like there was, there was a lot of it and it was, I, I didn't, reply to every single person that messaged but um and and often like people would write a long message and my reply would be quite short but i'm gonna go through at some point and and send a fuller reply to everyone because it was right it was, it was unbelievable and uh well i'm sure you'll find a few people relieved that you're going just oh uh, no question just, just <laughs> no balance question. it out yeah yeah 100 yeah, percent. there'll be loads of people who are like, oh my god finally i can listen again <laughs> um as so, if uh, um, but yeah, and then uh, then the other the other thing I wanted to talk about was a couple of things that had happened on the United podcast um, in our right. absence. One of which is really important, and um, I won't go on about it at length um, because it's not my job to do t- so. And uh, I thought the man himself handled it absolutely beautifully. Um, G-Sung Park asked United fans not to sing his song anymore. Right, yeah. Um, he, he talked about what an incredible thing it was for him that United fans still wanted to remember him and sing his song. Um, but he talked about how the reference to eating dogs is uh, extremely painful, particularly for young Koreans coming through, where this is a tradition that is like kind of really despised by lots of young Korean people. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it, it, he was talking about being really embarrassed that he hadn't spoken out about it earlier um, and kind of being very moved and touched that the fans cared about him enough to to want to sing his name, but asking that, that they uh, they do that in some other way. Um, yeah, and fair enough. Look, and I, I think, uh, you know, I don't think this, it should catch any United fans by surprise, this. I mean, for the most part, supporters don't think about songs and when i heard this all of those years ago i thought it was funny at first you know and it takes some self-reflection to go actually you know actually it's it's you know fine we won't have a go at scousers but there's a the wider cultural implication I, i've been to korea many times and i can definitely attest to koreans bringing this up um not this song but just the 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 stereotype um yeah. and being offended by it so um yeah. you know good for him to bring it up now hope people listen much you know not the same but much in the way that um there was commentary around you know the song about the size of Lukaku's dick and the racial stereotype there so um you know incrementally we can all get better right we can all be better absolutely and of course there are people whose response to that is can't say anything anymore and just like what can you do you can't really do too much about those people except to say 
please listen. Just listen to the man and what he's saying. Don't listen to us. Like, the fact that I've always hated that song. I've always hated that song. Um, but that doesn't matter. Listen to the people affected by it. Um, then uh, the... Because like, I'm not out here to get offended on people's behalf, you know. This is an accusation that's thrown a, a, a against... Well, I'm just going to say people like us <laughs> who talk about what we talk about quite a lot. And I'm not offended on anyone's behalf. I, I'm hurt as a human by some of these things. But I'm saying look at the people telling you this is a problem and listen to those people. Um then the other thing is, this is one way you're not going to agree, but um, the Phil Jones, the Phil Jones podcast was uh, it was a it was a it was a very good interview, and just I just wish pe- more people would consider that Phil Jones is a human who has had a really horrible ten years trying desperately to do the thing he's always wanted to do and absolutely loved, and being thwarted at every turn and then mocked for it constantly. Oh yeah, no, no look, I don't disagree. I, Phil Jones, the human being uh, made fun of and you know being a figure of fun it's it's you know obviously that's a tragic for him and he wanted he didn't want that he wanted to be the next Duncan Edwards or, or whatever it was or you know maybe he had less lofty ambitions who knows Phil Jones the footballer you know divorced from that um as an asset for Manchester United <laughs> useless but um that's not to start yeah. a pylon, but <laughs> yeah, because because he was constantly injured, like yeah. because he's yeah. just he's had, you know, and hearing him talk about desperately trying to be as professional as he knew how to be, and desperately trying to do the right thing over and over again, and just not understanding why this kept happening to him. So uh, it was tough, man. It was a tough list. Both of these, both of these shows, I thought were excellent, but but tough listens. So um, we'll get to a couple of predictions um, before we go, um, and this may be a tough list. And I invited a Liverpool fan to talk to us. So um, friend of the show, are we allowed to call Scousers friend of the show? Uh, Chris Edgingham from we Man on the Post for Chris, yeah, yeah Chris. Man on the Post podcast host. Um, so we had a chat about and. And for some reason, the only Liverpool fan in the world who has listened to this show for like 10 years. Yeah. There can't be another one. I think he's got to be the only one. It's definitely odd. But he does. And so we invited him on and um, I had a chat with him. And it's very much a chat about the game coming up at the weekend. Anyway, we'll get to that in a moment. Predictions for the next two games? (sighs) Well, oh. Um, oh no, I've just, I've just heard what the sound, the, the numbers that my head just told me. I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, I think Atalanta are going to beat us and I think Liverpool are going to beat us. Uh, but I'm going to put it to draw against Atalanta. There you go. One all draw against Atalanta and, uh, a stirring come from behind last minute, undeserved 2-1 win against Liverpool at Old Trafford. Come on, you Reds. Most of you read. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, they're both at Old Trafford. Maybe that'll play in part. Uh, I mean, who knows? Because <laughs> yeah, we're so good at Old Trafford. I know, I know. <laughs> All right, go on. Pick pick some numbers, Ed. I'm going to say 1-1 one, one with Atalanta. And okay. I, I just don't know how we're going to get anything out of the Liverpool game. I'm going to say 1-1 one, one there anyway. Because right, cool. maybe. I can't believe you didn't predict a win against... That's oh, where we can't ever have had two games in a week where you didn't predict a win for either of them. Oh, Is this because be... I'm leaving? Or has it upset you? Is that what's yeah, happened? Yeah, that's it. it yeah, I've gone soft in my old age. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And anyway, enjoy the chat with Chris, and we'll we'll uh, Patreon backers. Uh, we'll have more after that, and then everyone else will see you next week. See you next week. All right, Chris, welcome to the pod. Good to have you on. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Well, I think sort of. <laughs> yeah, I'm deep in enemy territory here, aren't I? Well, that's the point, isn't it? You know, we want to find out about uh, how United's um, battering today. We're recording on the the Saturday, battering against Leicester and Liverpool's um, huge win and a disappointingly impressive win against Watford will translate into a United victory next week in the uh, the big match of the weekend. I uh, hate this picture. <laughs> I mean, I, lo- I love it um, for all the reasons that um, Paul hates it, really. I love the rivalry and the uh, banter, quote unquote, <laughs> even if most of it's um, unpleasant uh, and the intensity and what it means. And um, I don't like the fact that, uh, uh, you know, United are almost certainly going to get nailed. Um, can you give me any hope? How are Liverpool playing at the moment? Well, we've just gained uh, nine goal goal difference on you today. So, oh no, nine, no, uh, seven, I guess, haven't we? So, uh, yes. Maths. So, yeah. <laughs> I haven't got a GCSE in maths, by the way. <laughs> I, I took it three times and I've bit, got bit of nine. <laughs> <laughs> I got an F, then I took it again and got another F, and then I got a D, and I thought, I'm quitting. That'll be fine for me. Um, yeah, I, uh, I think we're going to have some Ollie bus parking next week, I reckon. Um, uh, depends yes. on Varane is though, doesn't it? Is, will Varane be? He's out. Okay, he's out. I heard, I haven't, I've only sort of followed on the radio briefly today, you guys. So I heard that Maguire was at fault for all four goals. Is that fair? Yes, yes, yes. Um, very much at fault for two of them. Half at fault for not tracking Jamie Vardy for number three, and just stood like a statue while his man walked past him for the fourth goal. Yeah, <laughs> um, clearly not fit. <laughs> I mean, it. I, I mean, it's not quite as obvious as if Virgil Van Dijk had played with a snapped uh, tendon in his knee last season. <laughs> it wasn't far off. Clearly, shouldn't have been playing today. So, what do you think that's going to mean for you guys next weekend? Is it going to be Bayern Lindelof, or do you reckon sort of Harry Maguire and Gaffer tape? Uh, yeah, I think they'll try and get him fit this week, um, and he'll play whatever. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if United played uh, three at the back, either with right. Maguire, Lindelof, and Shaw. Probably more likely that. Um, and maybe Alex Tellers will come into the side. So he's done that on a few occasions when he wants to kind of lock things up. Where is it next week? <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I don't know. I think <laughs> it's at Anfield. How oh, is it? Okay, quite well with you. Yeah, I was hoping you might know the answer to that one. Uh, especially if it's our place, I reckon it'll be um, parking the bus. And I think... Um, no, it's at Old Trafford. It's at it's Old, Old Trafford. Trafford, is it? So there's some pressure you know, on what, you then what, to One attack, thing or... with um, moving away from moving away from the UK but also with the pandemic is I've got out of the habit of like looking at where games are <laughs> planning for games in that fashion so it's actually not it's not surprising that I don't know where games are most of the time <laughs> so do you reckon of being at your place it's going to give you more pressure to um maybe open us up or attack I mean it's kind of interesting because you'd say so because there'll be a full crowd and um obviously you know the atmosphere is going to be good and all of that but uh, I, I just don't see this. I mean, look, it's it's Oli Solskjaer and he has a lot of bank of credit for being Oli Solskjaer the player and not much bank of credit for being Oli Solskjaer the manager. He, he tends to make a lot of decisions that are pretty baffling. And today, against Leicester, you look at the team sheet and you think, Pogba and Matic in midfield aren't going to press anyone. 
and um, uh, and are going to be like a sieve defensively, and a half fit Maguire and Lindelof is going to be an absolute mess at the back. You know, this looks like a four three game. Well, it's four two, but it was kind of pretty predictable that United were going to get battered. So, I think with Varane out and who knows about Maguire's fitness. Um, that doesn't look good. I, I would 100% guarantee, if they are both fit, that McFred starts. Yeah, Solskjaer and... Sorry, um, McTominay and Fred yeah. in midfield to give some kind of protection. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's those two in front of a back three or back I think five either. The problem is, as well for you guys is even if you crowd out the space, I don't know if you've seen the Liverpool goals from today, but uh, Mo Salah pretty much recreated his goal against Manchester City a couple yeah. of weeks ago. So even if you sort of block him the space, he can still find a, a way through, I think, won't he? Unfortunately, yeah, that appears to be the case. <laughs> I, I really don't like this. There's a kind of a journalistic um, rhetorical device uh, which is used often, which is like say something really offensive and put a question mark at the end of it, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I can't think of a good example in <laughs> politics, but it's uh, it's uh, at least not what I want to say live on air. But it, it's a really common rhetorical device. So, device. so what's happening right now is Mo Salah is the best player in the world, question mark. I, I don't like that kind of offensive nonsense in the me- media. I don't want to hear about Mo Salah. I don't want to look at him. I don't want to think about him. I don't want to think about him scoring or inevitably sticking one in top bins next week. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's unfortunate that um, United's major area of weakness um, in defence kind of coincides with Liverpool's you know, real strength and strength in depth. I, I see Roberto Firmino even scored today. So yeah. something special going on there. <laughs> yeah, well, um, and uh, Mane and uh, Salah, who apparently don't like each other, like Sherry and Cole, they got an assist as well. Uh, they, they One assisted the other, so um, it's all looking good there. I think next week we're going to have Fabinho back, who didn't make it back from the Brazil game in time, as did Alisson. Ne- neither of them did. Right. Uh, yeah, so I think we're going to be greatly improved there. Um but it depends what you guys are going to do up front. If you're going to pack the midfield and play three at the back, are you going to go one up front? And will that be Ronaldo or Rashford or Greenwood? Yeah, it'll be Rashford. Uh, sorry, Ronaldo supported by, you know, I mean, five, two sing in front. I was going to say three and then one. That's too many players, isn't it? <laughs> hey, look, if you're letting us play 12 players, I will be much more confident. Um, yeah, well, but then I mean, you'd only we'll go see. six at the back, wouldn't you? <laughs> exactly. I mean, look, it has been a social... Like, so it has been a social trait in these big games to pull off a, like a one-off tactical system that has worked. You know, beaten City three times, I think, at their place um, and got some really good results, been to Paris and won and, and that kind of stuff. The, the problem with Ronaldo in the team is you can't play on the break. He doesn't run anywhere. I mean, he's definitely not going to press defensively, so that one's been noted widely. What he also doesn't do is make anything more than five-yard runs, which is great in and around the penalty area or even like in around the the penalty spot and nearer um and you can see why he he still is able to score goals uh, but in a situation where united probably won't have much of the ball um and are trying to um are trying to you know create chances on transition it's not so good you know it's it's one of the reasons why objectively even though united signed Varane sancho and ronaldo were probably a worse team this season than last um, at least in terms of the style. I think it'll be very much a game that he will be uh, up for. Um, 
and I think that maybe he may come good. Uh, it's just if he's making these sort of darting five yard runs inside the box of this way, that way, left, right, diagonally, uh, it, it, will Van Dyke be able to sort of match that with him? Will Matip be able to match that with him? I guess they probably would, but then at the same time, this is Ronaldo against Liverpool, so he will be really wanting to win this one, I guess, maybe more than against Leicester away, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he also played. He played a fair bit of international football, so um, you know, Solskjaer conveniently gave him a rest, so he was good for Portugal. Scored a ton <laughs> of goals against the might of Luxembourg, I think, um, <laughs> and and then he's come back. You know, he uh, yeah, he had a stinker, honestly, against Leicester, but he wasn't given much service. But when he did have it, he was um, he, he looked off the boil, as did many of the players. So, I mean, I, I just you know, look. He he may he may well score twenty five thirty goals this season, um, uh, but I you know quietly kind of agree with Jonathan Wilson's yeah. in the Guardian that he probably make United the worst side because Cavani's movement is awesome. Mm. You know, he makes that he makes any combination of Rashford, Greenwood, Lingard, Sancho. Better. Mm. I was just yeah. going to ask you about Jonathan Wilson and whether you'd sort of heard his views on it. But yeah, I think oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. getting I, some. I, I get some... He gets some pelters for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I do as, agree you'd, as you'd expect. I mean, I think he's he's just so forthright in it <laughs> and unwavering <laughs> and doubles down um, that every time Ronaldo has scored a goal from you know two yards out or whatever. Um, uh, he's taken pelters for it, but you know we'll, we'll see over the long run. But I'm, I kind of agreed, with, at least agreed with his assessment on Juve, yeah, and what they look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I very much agree with you on that. But um, I'd rather, it, it, in a weird way, I'd probably rather would face Ronaldo than Cavani because, like you say, Cavani is an incredibly intelligent number nine, and he's been doing that his whole career. You know, I think Ronaldo was sort of converted from a winger into a, a forward, and yes, he scored lots of goals, but. I don't think it's an unfair thing to say he's not a natural number nine, whereas Cavani's been doing this since he was sort of six or seven years old. He knows how to play that game. And I think we would struggle against him a whole lot more than possibly what we would do against Ronaldo. Although I guess the crowd against Liverpool might sort of push him on that bit more. I still think we're going to lose. What a football fan that is, you know. So, so, so let, let, let me change tack a little little bit. So, so you know, what, what do you put Liverpool's sort of revival this season down to I mean is it just a continuation of the good form at the back end of last season was the the front end of last season the blip and and everything else around it the the normal Liverpool I think to some extent I think given what we'd got up to say from because I mean when Klopp first arrived we got to the final I think in 2016 of the League Cup uh, and if you think 2016 League Cup, 2017 we got to the UEFA Cup final, 18 Champions League final, 19 Champions League final, 20 uh, we won the league. So that's a very intense period of time. Uh, and then we've, after 30 years, the league being what it was too, is we got the league and it's like they all went, oh, and took sort of the deep collective sigh. And at that level, I think even if you drop off half a percent, one percent, then you're going to struggle. Losing Van Dyke the way we did after he was uh, brutally murdered by Jordan Pickford. Um, and then I think at the same time, losing the defenders we did, not only did that affect our defence, that affected our midfield. So we really were struggling at times last season for personnel, not just in defence, but in midfield as well. And I think maybe as 
we were getting more used to that towards the end of last season. Uh, we and also maybe the fact that we realised actually we might not make the Champions League uh, this year. So there was that sort of impetus from there. Um, and I think the fact that Klopp's mum had obviously died of COVID as well at the start of this year, that must have really had an effect as well, especially for the fact he couldn't go home to the for the funeral as well. That must have had a, a, a big effect. So I think if you put all those factors together, um, given that Virgil van Dijk is now fit this summer as, as well as uh, some of the other players that have come back, Klopp's had a break and some time off as well. I think maybe we're a little bit more rejuvenated for this season. I'm a bit disappointed we've only bought Canate, I would really like us to um, maybe strengthen a little bit more in the midfield. Um, but maybe they've just got their money on Curtis Jones, and that's a great thing. Uh, but I think we've gone through a very sort of troubled time of the last 12 months. Um, and I think maybe we've come out the other side uh, a bit more relaxed, a bit more refreshed. And with Virgil van Dijk 100% fit again, I think. That's that's my take. I think that's and I think, like I say as well about Klopp and his his mum as well. And I think we sort of see these uh, managers um, as sort of uh, we don't see the human side to them. The same with players as well. Uh, you know, you've got someone like Sanchez who struggled yeah. to settle. Yeah. yeah, someone like Sanchez who struggled to settle in Manchester. Um, and I think maybe now he's obviously not got over it, but he's had a break from that, and he's had a break from football as Klopp. And maybe he's a bit different this season as well. Yeah, it's a, it, um, in a kind of weird way, I think Klopp's challenges when he first came to Liverpool and Sancho's challenges coming to United aren't that different. You know, if, I don't know how much Bundesliga football you catch, but um, I try, you know, I try and watch a, a fair bit when I can. And the impression I always get is that it's um, there's there's a kind of uh, Ralph Ragnick. Ragnit's, you know, sort of pressing Gengen pressing style has taken over the Bundesliga, and everyone plays the same. Basically, yeah. You know, there's there's varieties within a continuum, um, but there's a lot of um, a lot of teams press, um, you know, reasonably high, uh, and then there's space for the transition behind, and that's where Sancho was brilliant. Mm. You know, if you look at ha- yeah, what he contributed, he didn't contribute um, crosses from wide areas. It was as an inside forward scoring goals and and setting up them and. Um, and I think he struggled to adapt a little bit because United aren't playing like that. Yeah. So you know that 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 was the early part of uh, Solskjaer's time with United, and they don't play that now. And then you look at Klopp, and he tried to implement that kind of style uh, with Liverpool for the first season and a bit, and it just didn't quite, you know. And I think he's just obviously a very smart man. Clocked it, broke all his players trying to play that way with players who weren't fit enough to do it. Worked out that he couldn't do that. Changed the style a little bit. Got lucky or understood what he needed to to change it up, especially the fullbacks. And and you know now he's the the Liverpool of now is a very different style than the Borussia Dortmund of six years ago or whatever. Yep. And um, you know so anyway, um, that's a, that's a very long, long-winded way of saying you know like. It, it can be tough, and that's yeah. why Sancho's having a hard time. I think I'm, you know, not panicking about that. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I, I can't help but think, and you know, sorry, United fans listening to this, you know, cover your ears. Can't help but think that Klopp would do a very good job with this United squad. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, it, you know, was the sliding doors moment? What was it after? Was it after Moyes that Klopp was linked with you guys, or was it before Moyes? Yeah, yeah. Well, we missed um, uh, missed out on Guardiola. Um, because Ferguson got to him too late 
and then missed out on Klopp because I think, isn't there the quote about um, he had the conversation with Edward Wood and was shown the vision and he wanted to manage a football club, not Disney. Something oh, okay. No, I didn't know that. It's really, dis- really disparaging. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, like he's not wrong. I mean, it's, it's, it, we're, we're, um, we're almost at the end. We're uh, two months from the end of the Edward Wood era and the whole era has been managed like that you know yeah. um and Ronaldo signing honestly was that you know like every other post for about a month was from the united social media accounts whatever platform you want um was about Ronaldo you know mm. he's he's bigger than anything he's probably he's he's got more reach than the, than the club and this is manchester united you know there's people in you know the mi- middle of the amazonian rainforest who've never seen a westerner <laughs> who have a manchester united shirt on you know <laughs> <laughs> and um it's uh but but Ronaldo has even more reach than that and that was one of the reasons that he signed given a sort of made-up fantasy world if uh, Jurgen Klopp suddenly left Liverpool tomorrow and walked into your job what do you think he'd do with your squad at the minute I mean I, I think um there, there are probably uh probably uh you know three or four year olds who can't really read or write um, who would look at this United team and go, we need a couple of midfielders. <laughs> so it's, yeah. uh, it's, there's always a compromise. So the compromise is either play uh, Fred and McTominay and you get, um, with Fred at least, really intense like pressures you know, um, and absolutely no sense of where he needs to be on the pitch. Or McTominay who's like a kind of potentially good jack-of-all-trades, but like... A jack of all trades, um, yeah. And so, um, or you play Pogba in there, and you you get better range of passing from central midfield, but absolutely no defensive cover. Yeah. So, I, I think Klopp would look at that and go, "I can't, I can't, I can't win anything with that midfield." Um, and then there would be, I think, you know, it's it's become a cliche to say it, but what is United's defining identity going forward? You know, there's no structure to it. It just feels like a bunch of really brilliant players. Yeah. You know, I, I don't don't know whether you got the chance to see Mason Greenwood's goal today, but he banged one in with his left foot into the top bins. And that's his weaker foot? I think it's his weaker <laughs> foot. Or it might be his right foot. I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter. Um, but, um, but, yeah, we rely on that kind of absolute brilliance. That was like a 0.01 XG opportunity so I think uh, he would plenty of that I think he would do I think he'd like Luke Short and I think he would definitely like Rashford and Greenwood and and I think if he was parachuted in tomorrow Rashford Greenwood and maybe if you hadn't sold Dan James he could have done possibly something with a youthful fast um quick three like that I reckon but I'm glad he's not going to do it no he won't um (laughs) and um you know Project Solskjaer is is uh I don't think there's there's too much thinking within the club that um, they are not backing Solskjaer for the long term. Mm. So, you know, I, you know, everything else is noise. This is just, you know, one dude expressing an opinion that no one really cares about. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of people on Twitter the, of the same faction. You know, I, I, I'm not, um, I don't think either Paul or I are like a hashtag Ollie out uh, because how can you be? It's Ollie. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like if... Uh, Divic Origi became manager of Liverpool in some <laughs> fantasy land in years to come, you know? Um, he'd be given a lot of time and space, I imagine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think I think objectively, Solskjaer's done a good job at transitioning the squad and a terrible job with the team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I understand that. I think um, 
it's hard. I, I, I guess no one wants to be the man that sacks a club legend, I guess. And I think Wiley's still bobbling around the top four for you guys. I don't think anyone's got any inclination to, to be that person to get rid of him. Yeah, no, Edward, 100% is not going to happen before Christmas. Uh, Woodward goes at the end of the year and then he's going to leave it to the next man, who will probably be Richard Arnold, who's just another ex-banker, now marketing dude, who's the group managing director. Doesn't really mean anything because all the actual decisions are are made in Tampa. Um, So, yes. Anyway, joy, <laughs> joy or doom. So, so it's going to be a fantastic game on the pitch, and United going to win five 0 We've decided that. I, Glad quite you agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what What are your thoughts on? Uh, I just kind of want to change uh, tack a little bit um, and think about Liverpool, the club, and its relationship with supporters. So, Liverpool were one of the the teams that wanted to join Super League. You didn't quite riot, no. Um, but I can't imagine Liverpool fans being Liverpool fans were happy about that. No, I don't think they were. And I'm very surprised that the club hadn't really paid attention to things that happened before. So when they talked about increasing the price of season tickets, um, the fans walked out on the 79th minute, I think it was, because that was how much they were going to increase by or something. Um, Fans walked out in that moment uh, and they were reneged on that decision or they reversed that decision. And then, of course, there was the furlough decision as well, which they reversed in the end. Yeah, And I'm surprised that... Uh, John Henry wasn't aware or was just too daft to think that it wouldn't make any difference uh, joining the Super League, given those two things that happened before. I find that really strange that he wouldn't have thought so. Either either didn't either misjudged the fans' reaction or he didn't care about it. And I think, um, I would hope it's the first one. If it was the second one, then, you know, I'm sort of a little bit more concerned. But I think... The, I think the problem with the Super League is the fact that it was sort of sneakily announced. You know, if Perez and uh, Edward Wood and um, uh, and whoever else, you know, Sheikh Mansour, whoever else was in the Super League, if they all got to a press conference and took questions and said, this is our way forward, I think it would have been far more difficult to turn it around because as it was, they were sort of coming out in dribs and drabs and talking about it. And then I think the fans got to them that way. If they were more united as a front, I think it would be more difficult for... Uh, fans to then sort of change their minds. Um, I yeah. wonder- what, what, what I couldn't get was um, like a couple of things, right? One, right, like FSG is extremely professional as an ownership group, right? You know, yeah. clearly have a strategic plan. And, and you know, you've you mentioned a few things where they um, try to sneak stuff in that they made bad decisions, but the overall sort of long-term arc seems to be very professional. Yeah. Everyone else within the, the, the kind of cohort of like clubs, devising this idea it's not quite the same there's a bit more chaos i think around them oh chelsea maybe uh yeah you know and and city chelsea and city uh pretty you know have this kind of long-term vision ish sort of um but uh, so i was surprised from a fsg perspective i wasn't surprised from a ed woodward perspective i mean it's classic like you know hubris off the scale and then zero competence to <laughs> go and actually you know, execute on it. it just feels very Ed Woodward, but it doesn't feel very FSG. No, it doesn't. I mean, the only thing I can sort of imagine is the whole promotion relegation in America is such a sort of foreign concept that maybe they, maybe they thought if they went for the Super League, then... Um, fans would see how fantastic it was because, you know, you're going to be playing against Messi three, four times a season and, and you know, isn't this shiny new thing brilliant? And they misjudged the fact that quite 
honestly, fans like seeing Burnley twice a season and not Barcelona. So I think they sort of misjudged that quite a lot, which is really strange because, like I said, they learned from a couple of things in that respect. You know, the furlough and the and the um, the tickets in the past, and they've got most things right since they took over. You know, they they appointed Klopp. They've given him. Uh, they gave him sort of time to, to rebuild because I don't think his record was amazing when he took over. It was comparable with Rodgers. Whatever you think of David Brent, he nearly won the, the, the league that time. Um, so they've got their managerial appointments mostly right. They've got their directors of football mostly right. Recruitment is pretty good as well. It just seemed like a glaring black hole to, um, to go down the Super League route. I can maybe see why they did it in the fact that... Um, everybody else is going to do it, so we're going to get left behind uh, from a domestic point of view because I guess they were aware that United were going to do it and obviously City were going to, Chelsea were going to as well. Um, and I wonder whether the Newcastle takeover in the back of their mind, um, because it was kind of on the back burner at the time, wasn't it? It wasn't a sort of definite. Maybe they thought right. if this, yeah, maybe they thought, well, that's going to happen eventually as well. So, you know, Newcastle will be the next big thing. Maybe they did it because they didn't want to be left behind. I don't know. Right. And seven into four Champions League spots doesn't go, does it? No, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I guess I can, I can see why they did it from protecting the club from that point of view. Um, and they just obviously misjudged the backlash as well. Uh, it's not, you know, it wasn't great. I, I don't know anyone that was in favour of the Super League as a fan, you know, of any of the fans that, um, fans of the clubs that, um, that sort of went and did it. Yeah, well, at least in the UK, I think the reaction in Spain was a bit different. Um, at least my sense of, of um, listening to people who know more about Spanish football culture than than I do. Um, anyway, I mean, from that that uh, that kind of you know dark period of football history to <laughs> probably some more dark periods of football history. United v Liverpool. Got any favourite games from the years? Don't you? Yeah. Um, Fernando Torres leaving Emmanuel Vidic on his ass. I think it's probably the highlight. I've got to be honest. I mean, I listen to you guys every week and you're a great listener. And I don't imagine you've got too many Liverpool fans. If podcasters existed in the 90s, I don't think I would have been listening. You know, I've, I've been listening since like the sort of Fergie left onwards. I right. wouldn't have been, yeah, I would have been, <laughs> I would have been listening to you guys if, you know, during the Beckham Keane Skulls gigs era. I don't think I would have been doing that. But there aren't yeah, too many highlights. It's been said by others, but... Um... I really regret not being more of a twat when United are winning <laughs> absolutely everything. It all ends Not an original thought, but um, I mean, and, and as Paul has pointed out when I've said that before, I was still quite a twat about it. You know? <laughs> it, took the, it, took, uh, it didn't take that long, to be honest, for, uh, during the uh, Moyes era for, the, <laughs> for the, all the gloss to rub off. So I kind of understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, I remember writing an article for you guys um, because I remember you talking about the pod of, on the pod a few times about the sort of Liverpoolization of United. And I honestly couldn't see it was going to happen given the pull of you as a club and the revenues that you guys pull in. And not only that, the fact that Champions League places are available for the first four teams. I just couldn't see it happening. But, you know, it, it well and truly is. Um, you know, I, I, where are you now? So you're sort of eight years after your last title win. Is that right? Yep. Yep. So yeah, you're right. just at the bit where we were sharing managers with Roy Evans and Gerard Houllier. So you're about there at the moment in regards good, to getting good back. Good times. <laughs> good times. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't suppose we'll appoint Graham Sunez anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, look, um, 
yes, and the, the I don't know how far United are into the upside, or, or whether you know this 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 kind of version of the United squad, which is the best since Fergie left. I mean, there's you know, big hole in central midfield, but loads of quality. So oh, you I, think? Do you? I don't know. Sorry. You think? Sorry, you're saying they're the best. This is this is the best squad since Fergie left. Is it? This is what you think? For sure. Yeah, the amount of attacking talent United have, and you know, in theory, plenty of quality at the back as well. Just there's this, you know, it's the donut formation, isn't it? Because <laughs> central midfield is is like mid table standard. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, this is. Um, I don't. I don't like Liverpool spent what a few years in the sort of fifth to eighth place range um, oh, um I, what, back in the 90s back in After, the 90s yeah, there, yeah. Were, there were a few right so and and united have spent i think more league more seasons outside of the champions league than in mm. um since fergie left you know so there's some comparisons there well yeah there is the fact that we got um uh, you know we were buying dross for a lot of money at that time or comparatively a lot of money at that time you know we got uh, nigel cluffin and you know julian dix and players like that but at the same time we were bringing through Stephen Manham and robbie fowler um rob jones was coming through so there's still players that young players that were coming through at that time but it's, it's, it's not a million miles um away from where you are i guess your favorite memory is Stephen gerald getting sent off after 40 seconds is it well, I mean, in a, that was delightful, I have to say. It's, uh, it still makes me chuckle, <laughs> to be honest. That that and Gerard slipping against Denver Bar. Oh, don't um, mention that. Don't mention that. <laughs> which isn't, a, I mean, obviously impacted United, even if it uh, wasn't a United-Liverpool game. And, and Eric Cantona threading the ball through about 12 Liverpool defenders in the 1996 FA Cup final as well. That, I watched uh, that, that was a in special the bar- moment. I watched that in a bar in Liverpool. That's the most drunk I've ever been in my whole life. And I watched it in a bar in Liverpool. And there were two... Obviously, the bar was full of Scousers. But there were two United fans down the front who didn't move for the best part of an hour and a half, especially after that goal went in. I thought they were incredibly brave or stupid to be sat in full kit watching that game in the middle of Liverpool. <laughs> very brave. <laughs> very brave, yes. Um, I think uh, one of the most drunk times I've ever been was um, having to watch Liverpool win the, their last European Cup, uh, Champions League, whatever we call it these days, Super League, Franchise yeah. League. Um, yeah, so that that wasn't awesome. And so decided to drink like half a bottle of tequila in the bar afterwards. So it didn't I'm, end well. I'm thinking about, because we're talking, to, well, I was thinking today about sort of, um, sort of players from the past and all that sort of thing. I honestly think this bunch of... Liverpool players. Uh, I can remember football from Dalglish onwards, so about 86, 85. First game I remember was 85 Cup Final, so you guys winning there. So that was the first ever game I remember. So I can honestly think this is the best collective group of players, and probably the nicest collective group of players for Liverpool, I think. Um, I mean, if you told me five years ago that Mo Salah would be the player he is today, I don't think I'd have believed you. But... um, Every, I don't think there is a player I would, I'm look, I look at in our squad and think I don't know why we've got him in our team still. Even James Milner, James Milner does a great job. You know, he's not a long term future, but every single player I look at, I don't want them to go. I'm, you know, having said that, I'd probably start Daniel Lager playing for us. But you know, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be, I'll be a terrible hoarder of players if I own the club. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. Klopp's made some better decisions on that <laughs> front. Uh, 
Yeah, Mil- Milner's got roasted a few times, but he, he is yeah. like, I don't know, 900 or something. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, probably, is he out of contract at the end of the season? I can't, I can't imagine he has I many years so. on that. Yeah. He got an assist yeah. today, so, um, so he's still sort of banging them in there. But is there any players that you guys have got at the moment that you think Fergie would have had in his team at, um, at the... At, at, your, you know, I don't know when United's pomp was, 90s or early noughties, but you know, is there any players today that you think Fergie would pick in any of those teams? Yeah, interesting that. Yeah, so, so I guess you'd pick out the 99 side. The, well, the 1994 side was um, a great side, but looks very different. Like, it just doesn't resemble yeah. modern football at all. 99 side and 2008 side, you could see the transition to, to yep. you know, 2008 especially, very flexible. Ronaldo, Tevez and Rooney up front in that side. And then 99, obviously, like, you know, it's all width, wasn't it? It was Giggs mm. and, and Beckham and Keane Skulls roaming midfield. Uh, amazingly, that that um, that United 11, you think, um, from 99, like Schmeichel, Neville, Stam, Janssen, Irwin, Beckham, Keane, Giggs, Skulls, York Cole only played together once. Um, so Did if, you, they? if if you yeah yeah away at Coventry, um, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, but you know that was obviously the core of that team, and yeah. you know I think Fergie in that team would uh, would have found space for um, who would he have found space for? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, you know, De Gea at his best, although he hasn't been at his best for a couple of seasons now. Um, who would he? F- who else could he fit in? Uh, Rashford. He would. He would play. He'd find a place for Rashford, though. He wouldn't. He's not a natural winger. You know, he plays as an inside forward, and that's the thing. Like, you know, yeah. Like, obviously, Rashford's a brilliant player, and so is Greenwood. Um, and um, you know, there's other great players in the United squad. It's like fitting them into that 99 side would be awkward. Right, Rashford yeah. would be playing up front, would he? Would he be playing in the York role? Doesn't really hold up the ball as well. So it's kind of interesting. Like tactically, it'd be very different. Yeah, the two thousand eight side looks very similar. Yeah, I'd say tactically, um, you know, Rashford might get in that side ahead of Tevez. I guess um, the the midfield. Yeah, I mean, it kind of had an interesting midfield with like Hargreaves and Greenwood playing in that midfield and a sort of aging Paul Scholes. So I. Don't know if any of our central midfielders would make it. Paul Pogba might make it somewhere in that team. Mm. I don't know where exactly tactically, um, but uh, yeah. I mean, any uh, turning the question around. Any um, any Liverpool players from uh, you know before you got good again that would um, <laughs> make it into Klopp's side? I'm still sad Emre Chan left, so I don't think he'd get into Klopp's side, but he'd get into my side, I think. Um, I would probably have Sammy Hippie ahead of Joe Matip. Uh, I've got to be honest, I never was a Steven Gerrard fan. Um, I mean, you know, I can concur there. So. <laughs> I think I'm on home territory with that one. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think the players I liked in the past, I think they, I like them because... I love them rather than because they're as good as the players now. So Robbie Fowler, I you know I, I'll love him forever, but I wouldn't have him in this three. Um, I, yeah, Mascarano. I've fit Mascarano in here somewhere in that midfield. So Mascarano, Alonso, Fabinho in midfield would be pretty decent, I think, in their pomp. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Mascarano maybe, was a was an excellent midfielder. 2009, yeah, 2009 Torres as well, I think. I'll probably get having this. I know he's got a hat-trick today, but probably get ahead of Bobby, I think. 
Um, yep. If only you could, yeah. Put, imagine imagine a, a 2009 Torres against 2021 Harry Maguire, considering what it did to uh, Nemanja Vidic. Yeah, uh, that would be um, unpleasant. I mean, Vid- <laughs> Vidic had a great career, um, had one, that one bad game. You know, yeah. I'm just giving him that one. <laughs> but yes, um, Harry, Harry Maguire had a, a game for the ages today. Um, like very, yeah. very uh, remarkably bad. Yes, he would have uh, been torn a new one, I imagine. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, um, well, I guess we better leave it there because um, listeners by this point have probably been, uh, given, <laughs> given how Paul and I drone on for hours on end, been listening for a couple of hours. <laughs> so, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I can only hope that by some miracle United pull it together over the next week. Doesn't seem likely. <laughs> no. Can I plug my book and my podcast? Would that be okay? Yes, please do. Um, tell us about your new book. I mean, I, I, I saw you. I haven't read it. Normally, I, uh, normally I, uh, that's good that's good because i was like normally i read the books before i talk to authors but uh, no, it's yeah. not tell, out us, yet. tell us about it okay so it's about football in um yugoslavia it's not out yet so it's, it's gone for its uh, second edit so it will be out in the next sort of few months or so so it's about um I'm guessing we, I, I don't really do you a disservice, I'm 44 uh, years old, I don't know if we're a similar age or not, but um, growing up in the early 90s, uh, the Yugoslav war was across our TV an awful lot. Um, and it looked very similar to the sort of, the, the, you know, sort of whitewashed houses, red slate roofs, looked very similar to where I went on holiday in France. You know, this wasn't some far off exotic location. These were like war in the middle of this, uh, of Europe. And it was very, close and you know i found it quite interesting um and it was still at the time when these players as well the football players were still quite exotic so dragon stojkovic when he appears on your tv he was a phenomenally good footballer at italia 90 and then he disappeared and he came back again a few years later so they got some sort of allure to me and the more you look at um yugoslavian society the more you can see how football plays its part in that a lot of the soldiers that fought in the war were ultras for dinamo zagreb and red star right. belgrade yeah um there was the um the riot where it's one of the boban the policemen a lot of people think the war started there and it definitely didn't um but even today there are still uh, rivalries within uh football based in sort of ex-yugoslav countries based on uh religion or ethnicity this weekend's the mostar derbies rinsky okay. Croatians Rinsky place play Muslim Mostar so it's about football and it ends on a positive note and how football has been used to rebuild society as well through a, a scheme called um, Open Fund Football Schools which is a, a Danish NGO that bring kids together to play football from the different societies so it's about that but also my man on the post podcast as well so yeah that. yeah do check out man on the post and uh, that sounds like a fascinating book um uh, super interesting read of course you know Danish NGO da- the Danes have I've got to be thankful for that period of time. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's, of course, why they were in the 92 European Championships, which they actually yes. won, uh, with one of the greatest kits of, of all time. I might add the Danish kit from the 92 Championships. Um, yeah. was it, am I right in saying that, or was it from 86? It was their great sort of stripey and... No, I think that was 92. Also featured a John Jensen goal in the uh, final. So you wouldn't see many of those anywhere. Yeah, (laughs) it did. Um, Yeah, well, congratulations on the book. And we'll see it, what, next year sometime? Yeah, I think early next year. I think it's gone for its second edit at the moment. So I'm hoping uh, hoping early next year. Well, good luck with that and and with the podcast. And um, worst of luck for 
for uh, Sunday, <laughs> please. You know, all rivalry, all rivalries aside, I hope Klopp dies before we get to that game. No, no, I, I don't. I don't. That was a, was a joke. What if he does? What if he does now? I'd feel really bad for a couple of seconds. <laughs> I'm going to go one-one draw. That seems sort of a, a drab one-one draw. I think um, you guys are going to sort of park the bus, and we'll struggle to get through. I mean, that sounds uh, kind of positive, yes. I mean, like, the, the best narrative I could construct is that United um, park the bus and play with a rapid transition and, and catch you out, but we just haven't done that for a long time, so I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where that's coming from. Um, it's theoretical at this stage rather than actual practice, so um, we'll see, but yes, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, take, um, I'll take a two-all draw because I can't see us defending very well, but we'll see.